Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Don't you reckon there are seasons in life where a question just rises to the surface so powerfully and profoundly, unlike other seasons of life, it's this question of who am I? Who am I? I remember being in year 12 and being in university and being, being in subjects that I just had no idea what I was doing, had no idea where I was going, but all around, swirling around that was this question, who am I? I look at my daughter Matilda who's in year 10 and those questions are starting to get really firm. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? What a pressure to put our late teens under. As we move from study in high school to study in university or as we move from study in high school to an apprenticeship or full-time work or part-time work or something like that, these questions swirl around our head. Who am I? What's the contribution I'm meant to make to society? What job am I going to do? What's my career going to be? What's my life trajectory look like? And there are significant moments of training or apprenticing or study where that question comes to the fore. I can remember when the biological alarms were going off everywhere and we, I should say Brooke and then me, were saying, we're ready to have kids. The problem was at that time, I was a full-time student living with my parents-in-law, not the ideal setting to bring a child into the world. But it was a question, it was a time when the question came front and center in my mind, well, who am I? Who am I? If I'm going to be a father, what needs to change here? And, and how, how, how much do I need to fast track this career to go from full-time student to paid employee? There's some seasons of life where this question just comes front and center. I remember when we were in Toowoomba not that long ago and we were at a church that we thought we'd spent a lot of time at. And in some ways it ended up not going as long as we thought it was going to go. But it was a significant season of, well, who am I now? I don't have the title anymore of senior pastor. Who am I now? And there was a two-year season of wrestling through that and, and then COVID happens and everything gets shut down and so the question becomes even stronger, who am I? What's my contribution to this world? What, what, what gives meaning to my life? What will bring me happiness? If I'm living out my purpose, shouldn't I then experience deep happiness? These are not new questions and I'm sure these are questions that you've wrestled with at some point in, in your life if you're not wrestling with them right now who am I what's my purpose how do I find happiness these are the questions whose answers shape our identity who we are and identity labels at the moment are at the heart of so much division because don't we, not just as we wrestle with this ourselves and say, who am I? Don't we constantly look around at the people around us and go, who are you? And, at, and at right now, there is so much division in our society that it is really quite stressful and quite sad to witness. Because we want to label each other. Are you a blue or are you a maroon? That's pretty tense at the moment. Let's get a bit more serious. ScoMo or Elbow? I don't mean elbow, I mean elbow. Vaxxed or unvaxxed? Pro-life or pro-choice? When we were in Melbourne recently, there's a big rally, thousands and thousands of people 
on a pro-choice rally. We want to put these labels, and and when we put these labels on each other, it means that we divide and we no longer associate with people if they've got a different label to us. Who are they? Who am I? Well, we can no longer be friends, or we can be really good friends, or I've got some new friends because they've got the same label as me all of a sudden who I might not have been friends with before. These labels force us to one side or the other and into categories that start to define us. That when we ask that question, who am I? We might say, well, I'm elbow, or I'm, sco- I'm scomo, or I'm vaxxed, or I'm unvaxxed. As we think about some of those identity labels, it's really interesting that in our context of church and faith in the 2021 census, there's, there's been revealed this sharp decline in people who identify as Christians. We've gone from something like 61 or 63% in 2016 to just over 40% in 2021. That's a sharp decline. There's a whole lot of ways you can look at it, but I just look at it and I go, this, this is a significant decline. But now we have a new label. We have a new label. You know what it is? No religion. And no religion is fast becoming the biggest label when it comes to spirituality and faith of them all. It's almost as big as Christianity now at about 35%, I think. The more labels, more ways to label each other. And as we think about those labels and we think about our identity, we are jumping into the fray over the next six weeks to to put this question before ourselves and say, well, who am I? What's my identity? What's my purpose? As we do that, I want us to get us us thinking about, okay, well, how would I answer that question right now? How would I answer that question right now? And so these are three simple questions that I think as we answer them start to, sorry, the answers to questions of who am I that start to shape how we see ourselves and how we identify. The first answer to the question of who am I could be for you, I am what I do. I am what I do. So whatever your job is in life, whatever your title, whatever your role, that's who I am. I'm a pastor. I was a senior pastor. Now I'm just a campus pastor. And I love it, by the way. For you, it might be, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor. Thank you very much. You can address me as such. For you, it might be, I'm a CEO. I'm a teacher. I'm a nurse. I'm a, I'm a law student. And for you, it might be a really positive thing. You know, I am what I do, and, and, and here, I'm going to tell you what I do so that you'll be impressed because my identity is so tied up in what I, what I do. It's all very positive and very remarkable and well done you but for some of us it could be well I'm unemployed I'm single I'm divorced that's what I've done and so your identity as well is tied up in in this in this statement well who am I I am what I do I am what I do another way to look at another answer to that question uh, that's very much a part of our society and very much a part of, I think, who we are and how we look at each other is, I am what I have. And, and let me tell you what I have. <laughs> well, I don't need to tell you. You can tell by the clothes I'm wearing. You can tell by the car I drive. You can tell by the postcode I live in, by the street I live in. You can tell by the school my kids go to. I am what I have. You can tell it by how well my kids go at this or that or whatever else. That's all very positive. These are the things we put on Facebook. These are the things we want everyone, sorry, I should say on Instagram as well. I got told I was a boomer for being on Facebook the other day by my older sister. (laughs) 
but I'm going to show you everything I have to give you the picture that I have some pretty good stuff and therefore that's who I am. I'm not going to show you the stuff that I have that I'm ashamed of. I'm not going to show you what I don't have. I'm not going to show you the things that I wish I had but don't have yet or probably never will have. I've just been down in country Victoria staying at my dad's farm just out of Dalesford, some of the best country in the world. And that's not just opinion, that's fact. (laughs) Beautiful. And my dad owns that. My dad owns those 28 acres. He owns that beautiful mud brick house. That's what he has. I don't have it. If he sells it, it's gone. But I'll get take as many photos as I can and I'll show as many people because I kind of have it. So you'll all be really impressed with me. If I had it and it was just down the road, I'd take you to see it. So you'd be really impressed and go, man, Sam has some pretty good stuff. That's who he is. But as we ask that question, who am I? The answer for you could be, I am what I have. Another answer that I think is really profound, probably a little bit more, takes a little bit more thought to get into and a little bit more evaluation to understand, but I am what I hear. I am what I hear others say about me. And so, you know, if if you've got some people, some parents who are really proud of you and told you every day how how proud they were of you, how much you were going to achieve in life, how well you've done in life, that's who you are. That's what you've heard. We all know, though, probably for every good thing we hear, that one thing that sticks with us is that negative comment we've heard, probably from someone we respected, someone we loved, whether it be a parent or a teacher. They said something to us one day, and it stuck with us. It's what we heard. That's what I am. I I don't work hard enough. I'm not good enough to make that cut. That's what I am. more than probably the other two at a deeper level this one cuts through who am I? I am what I've heard others say about me good or bad good and bad so as we start to think about what what I'm trying to get you to think about here is sort of get beneath the surface of yourself and say okay if I'm really going to ask this question who am I let me me get serious for a minute let me get a bit deeper because I, I, do, I, I do feel like I'm defined by what I do. I feel like I'm defined by what I have. And I feel like I'm de- defined by what I've heard. There are so many more questions that I could put on cards to put up for you this morning that shape a really honest answer to who am I. Some questions like I am where I'm from. I am who I aspire to be. I am whoever you want me to be depending on who you are. But three's a really good number. I didn't have any more cards, so I just went with three. But beneath these specific questions, a bit more thought put into these three questions. Actually, beneath these, these three questions, there's a reality going on that you may not have picked up that you need me to show you. And I do actually have a fourth card because the theme across all of these three, if you think about them, is to one degree or another, and how conscious of it or not we are, you, 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 there is this reality going on with, with, with each of those three is that, I am what I choose. Because I can choose what I do. I can choose what I have and I can choose what I hear. So actually beneath the surface of these things as I think about who am I, well, I am who I choose to be. I get to choose who I am. And in fact, that is the message of our culture and the message of our society. You be you. You do you, boo, which is one of my most hated phrases I've ever heard in my life, but... That's the messaging. You be who you want to be. 
You be who you choose to be and damn anyone who tells you otherwise. You go and be who you choose to be. That is the prevailing message of our culture. When we stop and think about it, though, there's so much about who we are that we never got to choose. I don't need to tell you what those things are. It's interesting that this is kind of like a new, new way to think about identity in our current context. There's a bloke called Charles Taylor, and he wrote this really thick book that I've never read myself, but I've heard a lot of quotes from. I don't think I'll ever read it because it's too complex for me. But he said this, exclusive humanism is, is a thing in which we have swapped God for a culture of, of authenticity or expressive individualism in which people are encouraged to find their own way, discover their own fulfillment, and do their own thing. That is the modern identity. And once you have discovered that within yourself, live it out and be who you are. Be who you choose to be. It's such a massive change from the way we did identity traditionally. The way we did identity traditionally is we, we looked at the external factors. We looked at where we were born. We looked at what our family did for work. We looked at all that sort of stuff. And we went, right, well, this is me. External factors that we had no control over or no choosing in became what defined us. We went on a quest outside of ourselves to discover the truth about the universe. And once we discovered that, we did our best to live that out in obedience to whatever that was. That was, mo- that was traditional identity. And your faithfulness to what you have discovered to be true, your duties to that is what you were. Whereas the modern identity is that you don't go outside yourself, you go inside first. You go inside yourself. You go in and look at your deepest desires, your deepest feelings and your deepest dreams. You discover what that is and then you go out and tell everybody that they need to change to accommodate you. Whereas with the traditional identity, you changed yourself to accommodate what you discovered to be true. You changed yourself to align with that. Now it's everyone else has to change to accommodate me and we're defined by our own desires. So this this shift, it's an increasing shift from I accept who I am to no, 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 don't accept who you are. Choose who you are. Much of my identity was decided by external factors, but now it's all internal and that's, or that's what we're led to believe. That's the message of culture. That's the message of society. And in this passage we're about to dive into, I believe that God wants to remind us, for those of us who find themselves in Christ, he wants us to see that, no, 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 no. It's not so much I choose as it is I am chosen. I am chosen. And may you find your identity in this reality, the truth of this statement when it comes to who God is and what he thinks about you the God of the universe external to you looks at you and says, you are my chosen. We're going to leap into Ephesians. We're going to get there hopefully very soon. But let me just give a bit of context of what was going on in Ephesus. If you think back to our series uh, in Revelation, we looked at the church at Ephesus as one of the letters that is written by Jesus to the churches at the time. And I'd encourage you, uh, if you want to go back and listen to that sermon or go back and read that passage to understand a little bit more about the church in Ephesus. But let me tell you just a little bit to understand what's going on in that place where the church is planted and why Paul writes what he writes to them. So Ephesus was a major city 
in Asia. In, in fact, people who are smarter than me believe that Ephesus was the Roman capital of Asia. It was that significant a city. Uh, so as a, as a political center, it was huge. It was huge. It was also a really busy trade port, lots of marketplace stuff going on, lots of money being made. And so you start to get a bit of a social hierarchy. Those who have a lot, those who don't have much, you have those who do great things, those who don't do much. And so this identity question would have been going on. It was also a significant cultural centre known for its beautiful architecture. It had a 50,000 seat amphitheatre. So there's the arts are being celebrated. Um, As we travelled through three states in our recent holiday, uh, as we went through uh, places like Melbourne and Sydney, and I I started to look at Ephesus, I started imagining if Ephesus was around today, it'd be like a Melbourne or a Sydney, where there's lots of wealth, there's lots of power, there's lots of haves and have-nots, there's lots of arts and culture being celebrated. Ephesus was also a deeply spiritual city, deeply spiritual one of the one of the wonders seven wonders of the of the world actually the ancient world was this temple this statue they had dedicated to Diana or Artemis and it was a this this cult that worshipped her was like a sex cult where temple prostitution was was rife was like a daily practice and that was one religion that was that was uh that was present in Ephesus the thing about all the religions in Ephesus though is that they all had to sit under this reality, under this truth, that Caesar was Lord. The Roman emperor was the one who was at the top of the tree and all the other gods fell beneath Caesar, a a man, a human, who thought he was God. And so in all of this, in all of this global and enforced belief that Caesar was Lord, for those in Ephesus, you can imagine that this question of identity was pretty significant. Who am I in the context of all of this? And it doesn't take much for us to go, you know, that's similar to today. In all of this that is surrounding us, all of this society, all of this culture, all of these voices, all of these TV ads, all of these pop-ups, all this stuff that's going on, who am I? Who am I? It's into that scene that Paul comes and plants a church in Ephesus through the preaching of the gospel. And then from a few years later, from a Roman prison, writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And I reckon today writes a letter to us to remind us in the context of everything that is reverberating around our ears and around our hearts and around our minds. This is who you are. I reckon Paul's having a good day when he writes this. This is one big long sentence where he's just pouring out prayer. Even if he's not having a good day, he's having a good day as he's handcuffed to a Roman soldier sitting in, under house arrest in, in Rome. He starts writing praise to God. One big long sentence, no punctuation. Just one big long sentence that we have, are looking at a part of this morning. Let me read to you from Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 8 after a very, very long introduction. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That is only halfway through his sentence there, but that's where we're stopping this morning. It's too much. It's too much goodness. Paul is, remember there's no full stops, even though there is in the English, there's none in the Greek. He's just on a roll here, filled with praise. And hopefully by the end of this morning, we'll understand why this passage is so rich and deep and hopefully we can draw out a little bit of the deep riches in this passage today verses three and four i won't read them again but verses three and four kind of function as a bit of an overview for the whole of the letter every spiritual blessing we have and we are holy and blameless and paul does this in his letters he says here's what's happened not because you're anything special or did anything to to warrant it You, you didn't merit this but god has lavished his grace upon you Through Jesus, he's poured out grace and has made you who you are, made you a child of God. Therefore, this is how you should live. That's a really important order. So he goes from, you have every spiritual blessing, therefore you are holy and blameless. Live holy and blameless lives because that's who you are. Don't do that in order to merit God's favour. Do it because you've got God's favour by grace, not just grace of four rights here, but glorious grace. Glorious grace. I think sometimes it's actually, it's actually really interesting. If you, if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse, at the end of verse 4, and as it's about to go into verse 5 in the NIV, you get this little phrase, in love, before verse 5 starts. I don't know if anyone's interested in that sort of stuff. I know that I am. The reason why that's a bit weird, like verse 5 starts at the third word of the sentence rather than the first word of the sentence, is because a bit of disagreement about where that in love should go. Should it go with the previous thought in, in the NIV, the previous sentence, remembering that Paul, this is one big long sentence, or does it go with what comes next? Some of these arguments are a bit silly, even though every commentary I read talked about this, they're a bit silly because I think it works both ways. But let's, let's work at the first way. Actually, let's work at the second way first. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Of course God loves us. He adopted us because he loves us. In love, he predestined us to adoption. Absolutely, that fits, that works, that is so true, it's so aligned with all of Scripture, it's so aligned with the letter of Ephesians. But if we attach it to the sentence that's just gone, be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Because sometimes there's a temptation for us to look at the world, to look at the dirty sinners out there, to look at the people who disagree with things that we think are Christian values to vote for people who don't hold to Christian values, to rally against things that are Christian things. And we look at them and go, disgusting. Holy and blameless, disgusting. That's not love. That's not love. That's not the love that the gospel should stimulate in our hearts. That's, that's an attitude that we're somewhere, somewhere along the way we've gone off track. Our holiness and our blamelessness in love should be because we understand that we have done nothing to merit God's favour, to make us holy and blameless. So as we live holy and blameless lives, we don't become arrogant and proud and judgmental of everyone else and compare ourselves to each other going, I'm far more holy and far more blameless than them. No, in love, humility, grace, God's people, yes, we are different because of the way we live our lives, holy and blameless, because that's who we are. But we never do it with arrogance. We never do it with pride and boastfulness. We do it with love. You know, the whole 
theme of this passage, I think, is this idea that we are chosen. We're not chosen because of our holiness and our blamelessness. We're chosen because God loves us. And because he loves us, he marks us. You're holy and blameless. When I look at you, I see my son who was holy and blameless in everything that he did. That's what you've got. That's one of the spiritual blessings you've got as a child of God. And this isn't how the world works, though, is it? When we choose, when we choose something or we choose someone, we choose based on merit. We choose based on the information we know about that thing or about that person, and we make a good choice based on our information about what we know. That's how we choose. That's not how God chooses. I mean, look at the room. If, if there was, if there was a, a, a pro forma, a profile for how God chose, chooses people, well, you should all look more like me, right? Because I'm very holy and blameless. I'm a pastor. It's not how this works. Look at, the, look at the church globally. Rich, poor, men, women, Jew, Gentile. There is a diversity of expression in the church because God doesn't have a pro forma. He doesn't choose you based on your merit. He doesn't choose you about how well he thinks you'll do for him. He just chooses you because he loves you. And because he loves you, you're holy and blameless. This is not a God of our choosing. I love how specific Paul really is in this passage because he, he specifically points out that the God I'm talking about is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a specificity here. This isn't just God like an ethereal, spiritual uh, being out there that we kind of make in our own image to attract the powers of the universe uh, to, to come. Well, this is my God, and my God is made in my image to suit my preferences and to suit my priorities and to agree with everything I do and everything I say. Well, that's my God. No, no, this is a specific God. This is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in, in the language that Paul is using, it should stimulate, it would have stimulated the early readers and it should stimulate us to think about the God also of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Ruth, the God of Deborah, this God who is personal, this God who has, a, has characteristics and a, and a personality. That he's not just some ethereal thing that we can just go, well, I'm going I'm to create God in my image. No, you are chosen by the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This God exists beyond us. It's not a God we create as we do that inward journey of identity and discovery. It's a God external to us who says, I am chosen. And he's a God who says, I give you every spiritual blessing. That's a long list. We're just going to look at two really quickly from this passage. The first spiritual blessing that we see as we look at this passage, because we are chosen, another way to look at that is God has adopted us. Have you ever watched the YouTube videos that get around a bit where they, they film, for some reason, I don't know why people pull out cameras all the time and film moments, I think it's a pretty personal moment, but I mean, it, it's good for us to watch it, I suppose, but if it were me, I'm not sure I'd want the whole world to have access to a moment like this. Anyway, they pull out the camera and film the moment a foster kid is, is, realizes, opens a letter that says they're adopted by their parents, by their carers. Have you, seen, have you seen a video like that? When I see videos like that, I'm like, I'm, I'm not crying, you're crying. Like, my eyeballs are sweating. It's, it's, um, it's an emotional moment because the kid is just so filled with joy. I, I'm yet to see a video where the kid goes, oh, are you kidding me? You guys? That would be a good video. They'd go viral. But they're not like that. The kid, the kid is overcome 
you want, you want to adopt me? I thought this was like I've been passed around from house to house, and, but you guys, it, it's American because adoption is a bit easier in America than it is here, I think. But it's a powerful moment. There is such joy, there is such pleasure, there is such happiness, not just for the kid, but for the parent. And this is the picture of a father, a heavenly father, who loves us like that. When, when you came to faith in Jesus and you were adopted, the father was happy about that. He was filled with pleasure. The two things that Paul mentions is pleasure and will. He meant to do it. It wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a misunderstanding. He meant to do it. And he was thrilled about it. You're adopted like that. And I want to say too that in those videos, the parents are overcome with emotion as well. Not just the kid. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. That's the moment for God, when you discover your adoption as well and when you remember it and when you recall it, how, how, what, what right do we have to be adopted? You know, in, in those videos, that kid doesn't really have any right. I guess he has a right to say, no thanks. But he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any rights or authority to initiate that moment. He can ask, please adopt me. But the onus is on the parents, the, the, the soon-to-be parents. The onus and the intent is completely on the parents. It's not on the kid. It's the same with God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ looked at you and said, I want you in my family. He did that with intent and he did that with pleasure. Now, before we do something that I often do with a passage like this, I want, I, I, there's something within me that wants to go adopted to sonship and daughtership and daughtership. And I think, I think that's generally a good thing to do. Whenever we see brothers in scripture, we should add and sisters as well. Whenever we see men, we should say and women and all that sort of thing. But not, not so in this passage. And this is profound. Adoption to sonship. So in Roman law, if, if, a, if, a, if a landowner or, a, or a, whatever, like a, a businessman or whatever, had no children, he had a, a right to adopt a son. Never a woman. Never, never, a, never a woman, but always a man or a boy. Sometimes a man, sometimes a boy. And they, under Roman law, they were adopted and they had the full rights as firstborn sons. Firstborn sons. That, that's what would happen. And so under Roman law, it was if that kid was genetically related to the parent, even though they weren't, they were adopted. And so the picture being painted here of sonship is when you're adopted into God's family, you've been adopted into sonship as if you were the firstborn son in that culture at that time. And I reckon there would have been a moment for the Christians at Ephesus where the women looked at each other. I don't, I don't think they would have gone, oh, we've been excluded. They would have gone, you're like a firstborn son in a culture where women were second rate, where women were less than, where women were subhuman, women were the property of men. This letter's being read and the gospel is saying to them and Jesus is saying to them, I see you, I value you, I love you to the degree that I am investing all that I have into you, woman of God, like you're a son, like you're a firstborn son. So men and women, Adopted as if they are the firstborn with the full rights to inheritance. Sonship is for the women as well. So we are adopted. And don't you see that as Paul is remembering this and telling the Christians at Ephesus this, and and you see this as a theme, he's pouring out praise, he's pouring out worship. 
When we think about our adoption as children, that's something that naturally should happen to us as well. Like the kids in the video, thank you. Thank you that you've adopted me as your son. Thank you that you've adopted me as your daughter. I was an orphan, but you've made me yours. You've made me your child, and I'm filled with joy, filled with pleasure because of your goodness and your kindness towards me. Worship is not something that should be dreary and boring for the child of God. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about a whole life of worship. Although singing together as the family of God is a great way to express the joy and pleasure we have as being called children of God. The second blessing that we look at from this passage, we're adopted, but we're also redeemed, redeemed. And the biblical definition of redemption is buying out of captivity, buying out of captivity. I had a great illustration. And I'm not sure this happens much in Australia. It was an American preacher who talked about this. He talked about his car getting impounded. He was preaching at a, he was preaching at a church and he parked in the wrong spot. And when he got out, the car had been towed and he had to go to this car place where they, where they uh, impound cars and pay a fee to get his car back. This place was called the Redemption Centre. <laughs> but that's what it means to redeem. It's, it's lost. It's, 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 it's been captured. It's been taken captive and I have to pay a price in order to get it out again so that I can have it as mine again. That's a perfect illustration of what redemption means. We are captives. We are captives to these things. We are captives to the things we do. These, what I do becomes my master. This is what I sacrifice for. This is what I protect. This is what I want people to know. I am what I do. And if, if that ever changes, it's death. If that changes, I'll be in despair. I've got to be defined by what I do. As we think about whatever that is, that is our idol. That is the master which we serve. We are enslaved to that. We are captive to that. I am what I have. Don't take anything away from me because then people won't think as highly of me. Or, or if I don't have it, when I do get it, then I'll be valued, then I'll be seen. And so I'll work my butt off and I'll sacrifice to get that thing so that people will think I'm something. You're enslaved to that. You've been taken captive by that. Redemption, Jesus comes and says, you don't need to be a slave to that because that thing can never save you. That thing can never satisfy you. It can't give you what you really need. Only I can do that. And so I'm coming, I'm buying you out of captivity. I'm redeeming you from slavery to that and bringing you into freedom by making you mine. God will never enslave you. God will only give you freedom and full freedom, every spiritual blessing. We need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed from the things we've become enslaved to, the things that actually cause us to sin. That's the root cause of sin. Disobedience to God is because we look at those things and we, we do things that we wouldn't otherwise do in order to protect them, in order to have them, in order to gain them, in order to keep them. We sin to do that. And so redemption naturally, as Paul mentions, talks about forgiveness as well. We need to be forgiven as we're redeemed. There's a cost to buy us back. For this preacher in America, it's $400 to get his car back. That was a sacrifice he had to make to redeem his car. The cost of our redemption is the blood of Jesus by which we're forgiven. He buys us out of captivity at the cost of his blood. There's a bit of a shift 
in this passage between verses 3 and 6 and, and 7 and 8 because what we've got here, and even though Paul's welling up with praise, there is a break from what I think would be a more, more modern idea of identity. Yes, of course, praise be to God because I've discovered myself as I've discovered God. I've done that inward journey and I've discovered God. That's the beauty of the gospel. But the next bit when it starts talking about redemption and forgiveness is actually an offence here. It's offensive to the modern identity to say, actually, no, you're, you're, you're broken. You're enslaved to things. There's, there's a problem. There's a brokenness that you need healing from. And so people who praise God like Paul does only do that when they see their true state before a holy and blameless God. If you don't, there's nothing great here. If you see yourself as well put together, if you see yourself as doing well in life, if you see your choices as being great and God might be somewhere out here and I'll come to church and get all my choices affirmed because he affirms me because I'm so good, there's nothing to praise God for. What do you got to praise God for? You've got it all figured out. Now, the, the person who understands I needed to be forgiven and I continue to need to be forgiven, I need to be redeemed because I'm enslaved to these other things, then there's praise. I didn't have any reason for you to adopt me. Who was I? Broken mess, but you adopted me and you made me your own. My goodness, praise God. But if you think you're a pretty good choice, what do you, what do you got to praise God for? That might be a bit revealing for some because if your heart isn't one of worship, could it be that you've got nothing to praise God for because you think you're doing pretty well? at least five times in these verses, five times in that, that short little passage that we read this morning, at least five times Paul makes it really clear that these blessings, all of these blessings, they're ours conditionally. There's a condition here. There's a framework. The framework is this. Five times Paul says, they are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. There is an exclusivity to the gospel that some people don't like. And I can understand that, particularly as we wrestle with this who am I question in the context of every voice we hear from every angle in today's world. But Paul is making it really clear that there is an exclusivity here. These blessings are for anybody. That's not exclusive. They're for anybody, but they are through one person. And only people who are in Christ have every spiritual blessing. Let me say it really bluntly. If you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. If you are not, you have nothing. Nothing. It's all or nothing. It's every or none. In Christ or not. To be a Christian is not because you behave well. It's not because of who you vote for. It's not because of your status on any piece of paper. It's not because you have the right values or the right beliefs about a whole range of different things. That's all important stuff. But it's not what makes you a Christian. A Christian is someone who is united with Christ, one with Jesus, who by faith understands the need to be forgiven, the need to be redeemed, and then says, yes, thank you for adopting me and through adoption has been made one with Christ and for that person every spiritual blessing is theirs if not there's nothing there's nothing 
And here we start to get to the heart of our identity, who we are as a Christian. Everything Christ has is yours. Everything he has. And what I have, I have everything because I have Christ. Everything, it's all yours, all of it, all of it. All that Christ has, all the riches of heaven, all the blessings of heaven are yours when you are in Christ. I do stuff. Of course, this doesn't mean you go and quit your job and stop finding your identity in your work, but you start doing stuff with a new framework, a new understanding. Let everything I do be for you in all things, in all things, whatever it is. Do it as if doing it for the Lord Jesus. I'm not defined by what I do, but I do what I do because I'm defined by Christ. And I, I am what I hear. I hope you've heard good stuff this morning. I hope you've been reminded of who you are adopted as if you were the firstborn son, whether you're a man or a woman. Reminded that you are redeemed, you are forgiven. And that that's the loudest voice. There are other voices you'll hear. There are other voices you, you've listened to, but let the voice of your heavenly father who loves you more than anyone else be the voice that trumps other voices. And then you can be what you hear. So the question then this morning, natural question is this, are you in Christ? Is every spiritual blessing yours? Have you found yourself in Christ or do you still see yourself as a slave to these other things? A slave to what you do, a slave to what you have, a slave to hearing people say what you want them to say about you. Do these things define your identity? To lose them would be death. I think if you find yourself in, in that place this morning, I'd love to invite you to understand and to say to God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for adopting me. Today could be the moment where every spiritual blessing becomes yours because you are saying yes to what Jesus is offering you. Just for the moment, every, everyone close their eyes and bow their heads. I just want to give an opportunity if there are some this morning who realizing that there hasn't been a time in your life, whether you've been to church a lot or this is your first time ever, there is a realization in your heart and in your mind that you are not united with Christ. Maybe you thought you were, but through what Paul is writing this morning and what God is saying, you're realizing actually, I'm not united with Christ. Let me, let me remind you that if this is your moment, it's all of God's initiative. It's not my initiative. It's not anyone else in the room. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth who breathed breath into your lungs is initiating this moment to say to you, I want to adopt you as my son. I want to adopt you as my daughter. It's not because of your merit. It's not because of anything you've achieved. It's just because I love you that much. And if, if that applies to you this morning, I'd love to pray for you. Can you just raise your hand really quickly? Let me see your hand and I would love to lead you in a prayer. 
there's anyone this morning who that moment would be for. God, we thank you, Father, that you have adopted us. We thank you that you have redeemed us. We thank you that you have forgiven us. We confess, Jesus, that we become slaves to the things that we think define us. What I do, what I have, what I hear. Oh God, free me from these things. Make me yours. Jesus, unite yourself to me as by faith I unite myself to you for the sin that has resulted in my life from serving these other masters. Thank you that you forgive it by your blood shed on the cross. And thank you right now by this prayer of faith that you adopt me as your son, as your daughter, as you redeem me to freedom in your family. Amen. To those of us who are in Christ, let's stand to our feet right now in this moment. To those of us who are in Christ, I wonder if our heart of worship is directly related to our succumbing to the temptation to find our identity once again in these things, what I do, what I have, what I hear. Our prayers might sound like, here's another indicator of if you find yourself in this, our prayers might sound like us asking God to protect these things or give us these things or or allow us to keep these things because we know that if we lose them, that's going to mess with us too much. But maybe recently, and without mentioning what's been going on in our world globally, our faith has taken a bit of a hit because we lost some of that. What we did changed. What we had changed. What we heard changed. Maybe some of those identity labels that got pretty vicious through that season maybe gave our faith a bit of a battering. I pray this morning that you are reminded that your identity is not in those things, but your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in your adoption. Your identity is in your redemption. And every spiritual blessing is yours because God loves you. Nothing can touch the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Loss can't touch them. Failure can't touch them. Pain can't touch them. Suffering can't touch them. What we do or don't do can't touch it. What we have or don't have can't touch it. And what we hear or don't hear can't touch it. We are children of the living God through Jesus who gave himself for us. And I don't know about you, but this stirs worship in my heart. Like for Paul, this stirs praise in my heart. And I reckon all over this, whether you do it silently or whether you do it verbally, whether you've got the boldness to sing it out, just with every, all of our eyes closed, let's just start to thank God for how good He is. Let's start to bring to, to, into our voice and into our minds the spiritual blessings that we have because of who God is. And like Paul, let it well up in our hearts and come out in our voice to say thank you, God. Come on, let's just start to pray now. Start to do it. Start to thank Him for the good God that He is. Thank You for every spiritual blessing, Jesus, that You give us. Thank You that You have adopted us. Thank You that You have redeemed us. You've gone above and beyond in blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Blessings we don't even know that we have are ours because we are in Christ. Before we are anything, from the moment of adoption, before we were anything, we are worshippers because we have a God who would do that for us. We have so many reasons 
to be thankful, so many reasons to praise. Our God's stirring us because I reckon we've got some growth to do in this area. I reckon there's stuff in our, in our it's, it's kind of coming up in our belly and getting into our chest, but it gets stopped there because of fear or it gets stopped there because of doubt or it gets stopped there because of things we're holding on to. Holy Spirit, come and release worship in us because you are so good. Stir in our hearts. Remind us by your Spirit we cry out, Abba Father, because we are adopted children of God. Our church, this, this song is going to put a prayer of praise in our hearts. It's a song I think you'll know. I am who you say I am. Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God, adopted and redeemed. Yes, I am. Come on, if that's you, if you are in Christ, every spiritual blessing is yours. We're going to praise Him now through the words of this song. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.